was as if he kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground. Three pounds of haggis. 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 Three pounds of haggis because it hardly got off the ground. Sport with Scott Brown and Nathan Snade. Yep, kia ora, good and Orvin from Today Radio, Studio 4 in Kirschberg, the headquarters of Let's Talk Sport. You're with myself, Nathan Snade, my old mate across the, from me, Scott Brown. It is the 19th of July, 2023. Mate, has the weather been smoking or has it been smoking? It's been all right, like, I'm waiting for a big thunderstorm. Speaking of which, I was in a hell of a thunderstorm up in Germany at the weekend. Yeah. Actually got stuck in the restaurant. We couldn't, we couldn't leave. It was, it was like, like a bloody monsoon out there. Well, mate, it's been pretty warm, and I know that in the UK at the moment it's pretty cold, pretty miserable. Sums it up, doesn't it? What's it like What's in Northern it? Ireland, Aaron? Well, are you trying to test me if it's UK or Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> As you can beautiful, tell, we're not on our beautiful. own in the studio this evening. I'm joined by a uh, colleague and friend, uh, Aaron Lemon, golf fanatic. Yeah, I heard, um, your, I heard your first show. It was an absolute rip snorter. If there's anything golf... That's a good thing, by the way, the terminology he's used there. Rip snorting. Obviously, we've asked Aaron to join us this evening because we uh, are looking ahead to the Open, arguably the most prestigious uh, golf tournament in the world. 151st occasion. We're not going to get into it yet. We've got a few uh, bits to get through. As always, we start things off on here. If you want to get in comms uh, during the show, just drop us a text on 621 Five two five thousand. That's six two one five two five thousand, and we'll happily um, answer your questions or pass on any abuse you want to send our way. Nathan, a few. Uh, we all, as I say, we all start off with sport and the history in the world today. What you got for us? We do, we do, we do. I'm going to start with Luxembourg-born Michael Tiato representing France. He won on this day in 1900 the Paris Olympic marathon in two hours 59 ahead of another French athlete, Emil Champion. Didn't know. Michael Tiato, did you have you heard of that name? No, Aaron, the only the only a... the only medalist, the only gold medalist is uh, Josie Bartel, isn't it? Fifty two Olympics in Finland, Helsinki. Obviously, the stadium right. was named after him. That's good pub pub quiz knowledge. That Mate, isn't it good when we have a Luxembourg athlete um, able to make sport and history in the world today at Let's Talk Sport. Moving on, three years later, it is the first Tour de France <laughs> where French rider Maurice Garon he won the inaugural event. On to 1922, it was American swimmer, 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 Johnny Weismuller who broke the first minute barrier for the 100 meters freestyle. It's almost as fast as you and your rubber duckies, mate. Yeah, I'll be about two minutes, mate. Two minutes. Um, two minutes. Here's a statistic for you. Obviously, uh, Carlos Alcaraz. I've said that right, isn't it? The chap. No. How, how do you say it? Alcaraz. 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 Tomato. Tomato. Well, you, you spelt. You spelt it here as Alcaraz. Alcaraz. <laughs> Spell checker, mate. Uh, <laughs> born, born. Born on the fifth of May. Okay, in two thousand and three. There have only been four people. This is what we were talking about the other day. There's only four people who have won Wimbledon since he was born. Okay, so you got Djokovic. Djokovic. Djokovic, sorry. Thank you, Aaron slash Scott. Uh, Djokovic. Um, 
Oh, Federer. Nadal. Last one. Murray. Yeah. Oh, That's a mental stat, though, isn't it? That basically is only... 2003, there have only been four, four players that have won it. Four male players, just for the balance of things. I don't oh, want, God, I don't want anything coming your way. There yeah. is a female Wimbledon competition. Well, there you it's go. Well. You, get, you get educated every day, <laughs> don't you? Yeah? Um, another one for you. In 1994, Bulgaria played a fixture where every single's name, every single name, ended in of. Probably. Do you think there are other teams that where the um, end of their name ended in ski? Well, like, I don't know. I don't want to be... No, be some countries there. There's a lot of skis, and it's like, have you seen Ted? <laughs> Say, we always joke around how long it takes me to talk about films and stuff like that, and it take long at all. But they talk about, um, they're like, oh, we'll go for a couple of Alex Debogorf skis tonight. You know, and talking about beers and stuff. Yeah, they basically just put ski on the end of the Bruce, name. Bruce skis, right? Yeah, Bruce skis, Teddy Bruce skis, and then the where did, the, where did that come from? Don't know. The get, and then the girlfriend comes in and like says when they're like, no, nah, no, nah, you can't, you can't do that, you can't do that. Um, but um, I just want one other. I've got one other um, sport in history in the world today. This day in 1958 was the 44th Tour de France, and it was won by Charlie Gaulle of Luxembourg. There you go. There you go. A lot happened on this day. 19th of July. Well, but speaking of which, we'll bounce into it later on. But I know they're obviously pushing for the um, 27, 2027, 2028 version of the Tour de France. They want one of the stages to be held in Luxembourg because that's like the 100-year anniversary of the chap who won it in 1927, which would be 100 years since the last Burger won it. So if, there you go. If we come back to the year that, um, how do you, how'd you say it, Alcaraz? Alcaraz. <laughs> Alcaraz won the, uh, was born 2003. That was the last time the Tour de France started in Luxembourg. I remember it very well. I was there. He always the talks about this. You hear this story <laughs> racing down the hill at the glass egg. On you tell it, it's brilliant. It's well, so the main crashing. So the, on the first day, could they call it the prologue, don't they? On the first day, and they um, anyway, there was a few uh, boys pitched down at the Britannia, and that was where the, the bikes were coming down and then making a, a turn on the right outside the Britannia. Anyway, there's a little got a little bit wet in the afternoon, and it happened to be right at the moment when um, a Luxemburger was coming down and. Yeah, tits up right outside. <laughs> the worst place to, to, to take a tumble. Can't argue with that. Yeah. Can't argue with that. Um, so, as I said, we've got... Oh, we've got one birthday, Nathan, Oh, we you? have. Yeah, Vitaly Klitschko, Ukraine boxer. Happy time. birthday if you're listening in. Yeah, that's right. He definitely is. He's the only heavyweight to reign as world champion in three different decades. Credit where credit's due. Big boy, mirror big boy. Of, mirror of um, we've got the Open on, the golf. Obviously, that's why Aaron's joining us. He's going to give us some stats and some intel on it. Um, it's at Royal Liverpool this weekend. Um, but I was obviously doing a bit of research, as you do, um, and finding out the sort of thing that you need to be a champion to win the Open. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Um, normally, to win the competition, what sort of score would you be looking to finish up with in terms of being over or under par? Sorry, you've stitched me up here with a. So historically, um, in the in recent years, it's probably moved a little bit lower because technology has meant that golfers have just got a lot, lot better. But I would say probably somewhere in the region of minus seven, eight, nine. Minus nine, pretty good, pretty good start. Uh, generally speaking, getting three shots ahead of um, of your competitors will uh, will see you bring home the claret jug. Uh, what sort of percentage are you looking at for hitting your fairways? Uh, the open's lower than everything else because it's typically drier, so you're probably in the down in the 50-60 region. 64, 
Not bad. Green and regulation. Oh, gee whiz. This is it. This is, is why I wouldn't let him look at me notes earlier on in the car. And, the, and this is why he went for a round of golf with him on yeah. Friday night. I bet I had them, you know, I think I had them put like that and I just oh, saw him yeah. looking across yeah, trying to... Cheating. Wow, wee. He wasn't hitting these statistics, to be honest. <laughs> this, to, to be fair, he hit a couple of, a couple of ducks, but he didn't hit any stats. Uh, uh, greens, there, and, they? greens and reg, probably that's going to be higher. So that'll be um, low 70s. Yeah, 70% as well. Average age of the Open winners. Historically... See, that's changed massively because the average age of major winners for the past four years has been in the mid-20s, like 26. The only person that's won it out the last nine, the only person that's not been in their 20s was Kepka, and he's only 32. But um, historically, there were a lot older winners. Like Harrington when it was older, Sink when it was older. So I'd say it's probably somewhere around low 30s. Hold on Give me a, a number. Give you... me a number. Give me a number. 32. Oh, 33. 33, I'll take Who's that. the youngest, youngest ever winner of the Open? So it's either somebody really old or it was Morikawa in 21 Morikawa's only 23 no okay. Smith Seve Seve yeah and let me let me see would that have been early 80s yep 81 no the uh, who's the oldest winner then uh, it would have been Tom Watson in 2009 because he was 59 when the Stuart Sink beat him in a playoff I was there that was my first ever golf tournament so that sticks with me and I'm going to give that as my answer because I don't know. Uh, the oldest ever. I, I don't know. I'm what age? What age? Give me an age. Oh, what age? Um, someone in their late 40s. 44. Robert 44? De Vincenzo. De Vincenzo. Who's the heaviest open winner? <laughs> um, Even if you don't know golf, there's only one bloke you can be thinking oh, of. Oh, JD, 95. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 250 pounds. Little over a hundred kegs, good man. I'd that, say he's a bit bigger now. The night before the last round, it was in St Andrews. He apparently had like thirteen pints. Like he just, he was unreal. What a legend! I used to hear stories about when uh, Clark and what do you call the bloke with the ponytail from Spain? Jimenez. Yeah, him. Apparently, those two used to meet up at the majors and wouldn't go to the practice screen, but would basically walk past. And one of them would have a box of cigars, and the other one would have a couple of bottles of red wine, and they walk past the practice boys. Just laughing, uh, just go and get on it. In the imagine evening. those two playing the Ryder Cup at the same time. Chaos. It was a different sport. Like, there was no athletes. There was no warming up. The Tiger came and changed all that. But back then, it was yeah. The stories are a lot more interesting than they are now. Um, and the what color hair are you most likely to have when you if you win? Obviously, Nathan, not in your case. Um, if you win the Open, twenty three percent of winners have hair this color. I'm gonna go black, brown. That's so random. there you go. There you go. Just love a random fact, but it was pretty pretty good. He could hit those other ones. I mean, it? gee whiz, is, it, is your general knowledge like this with other sports, or is it just is it just with golf there? Football, I'd say so. Football yeah. my has has always been my main sport. I've only sort of taken a more press and interest in golf since I stopped playing football about five years ago. But um, like I said to Scott, when I get into something, I get into it. Like I'm, I become sort of obsessively so. Bit of a, st- a statistics man. I think that's a byproduct with golf. It's a very statistical sport. I just have a real interest in in the sport at an amateur and professional level so the more you listen to the stats are coming up more and more regularly than probably any other sport I think yeah so um, I mean what can you tell us about uh, Royal Liverpool um, I mean it's going to take place between the, the 17th and the 23rd of July they're expecting uh, about 260,000 fans over the course of the, the tournament which is as big as it gets um, outside of St Andrews 
Um, have you ever played up there up at Royal Liverpool? I played very close, but I haven't played uh, Hoylake. So uh, the, the, another thing, the, the golf club is called Royal Liverpool. The golf course is called Hoylake because that's what the name of the town is. Yeah. So it's a small distinction, but one and the same. Uh, I haven't played there, but um, I think the interesting thing about this venue, one of the most interesting things about the Open is where it goes each year because it changes. So... The Masters is special because of Augusta, because it's the same. But the others are special because of where they go, with the exception of the USPGA, which just doesn't really matter. Um, but the the Open, this is the first time it's been there since 2014 when Rory won. So it's nearly been a decade since he won his last major. And the, the last winner before that was 2006 Tiger. And that's the kind of thing that this course is known for. It produces really good winners. So it's it's seen as a real test of golf. The cor- the most interesting thing about the course at the minute is that it, it plays completely differently for the members. So the first and second holes played by the pros will be the 17th and 18th holes. At the I read that there's a brand new hole been, yeah, been The 17th has just been built. So it's a really short par three. And it is, it's going to be really interesting to see on Sunday because you, you can make a birdie there. It's only like 130, 140. It's short. But when it's windy, it's right by the estuary and it's surrounded in death bunkers. So We know where we'd be going, Nathan, wouldn't yeah, we? Straight huh? in the sand. <laughs> straight in the water, mate. <laughs> Reach the sea. All right. Head at 250. Um, but the, the, the bunker on the on the left of the green on this new par 17 is mm-hmm. horrific. I mean, it's pretty yeah. much all the way up to the all, all the way up to the green. As but yeah, yeah. But as with so over the back is essentially a beach. It's like a waste area, so it's an unraked bunker. So it's actually possibly more dangerous. But the, it really depends where the pin is. If like for the pros, if they're in that bunker on the left, it's not going to be an issue if the pin's on the right, as long as they've got room. But if you short side yourself on either side, so they'll put the pin right one day and the pin left one day. I I think they'll put it right Sunday because the slope short of the pit where, where they would put the pin on Sunday on the right means that if you go in the right bunker you, you're done you're completely done the green's quite big but it, it'll be interesting because the pros have said it's fairly difficult and if the breeze does get up so am I right in thinking there's 10 golf clubs which are on the I guess this elite list to be host the Open every year I think yeah so they call it the Open Route of Courses and that kind of fluctuates and yeah 10 to 12 is probably the number there have been recent introductions and uh, Royal Port Rush, which is really What's good. What's the only one? And, and yeah. I guess uh, I know you know it well as well. Probably spilled over there, and, and a night from Kelly's, you've ended up on the golf course at some point. I have no idea. <laughs> but that place is that place is different, greatly. And the thing about obviously that hosted in 2019 when Lowry won, but also it's getting that in 25. No course has really been awarded two opens close so close together, apart from St Andrews, which has it on a five year rotation. So obviously Northern Ireland's really proud of that, but it was such a successful event. But yeah, about about ten split between Scotland, England and now Northern Ireland and there has been talk I was just reading a conversation with one of my friends who's a member at Port Marnock they're now getting the British Amateur which is outside Dublin Yeah. Um, so it would be unprecedented for the the Open to go but if they build I mean he says the conversations are if they build the necessary infrastructure around that part of Dublin because there is another estuary there then it could host it in the 2030s which would be massive news for Ireland generally given the political significance yeah of I was going to say because uh, my, my understanding was that the 10 courses I think five of them are in Scotland four are in the UK and then obviously the only one is in uh, is in Northern Ireland quite interesting just bouncing so there's not a course the, in, there's not a course in Wales that are in that that's in the 10 no there's another there's a discussion about Royal Porth Call um, it's it's just again it's a lot of these things are infrastructure not a uh, uh, Royal Port Rush had to spend a lot of money in order to get the open. They had to change two of the holes. They had to build a lot of spectator areas and stuff because it's a very small town. Um, but Royal Port Call is good, but definitely a good enough course. It's a, this is the this is the place where we see very often on postcards with the with the lighthouse getting smashed. Is that right? No, that's, that's Turnbury. Turnbury. Turnbury and Turnbury has been 
moved off the open rotor since it was okay. purchased by a very well-known American politician. America, let's make America great again. <laughs> um, just uh, in, interestingly enough, you, when you're referring to a lot of these golf courses, you're just talking about Royal. Okay, now how many Royal golf clubs are there in Great Britain? I don't know. There are some bad golf courses that have got royal patronage because royal members were beside them. Probably, yeah, you can somewhere to, in the- to become a royal golf club. You um, you normally invite a member of the royal family uh, to be a, a patron or an honorary member, or you can apply for it uh, for, for the title, which can be granted from the current monarch. But there's only sixty four of them. So quite interesting. That, only sixty four. Yeah, but, that many, but when you when you think like it, when you consider, I mean, there's a lot of golf courses in England, but it's a different. There's a ridiculous number in in Northern Ireland and in and in Scotland as well. With uh, with Royal Port Rush, my I have family that live up there, and one of my aunties works in one of the main hotels, and you basically get Americans ringing up, being like, yeah. I want to book in for the uh, for the open for the week. And they're like, yeah. And he goes, yeah. And I need, uh, I'm going to need eight VIP tickets uh, for the whole week, all access and everything. Like the Yanks will ring up and do this. They'll also happily walk around and knock on your door and offer to buy your house from you. Um, and I think you know where I'm talking about. But basically, the the golf course is sort of on the edge of the town, and you've got the big nightclub, which Mr. Lemon referred to earlier on. Does that even exist, or is it? Is it, is it, is it still going? You're probably a shareholder, Mr. Brown. It's just a hotel now. Good, good times. <laughs> Sticky floors and chucked out of there. Plenty of times. Um, but you've you've essentially got the golf course here, which you know goes out to the into the dunes and stuff, and it's it's on the corner of the town, and you can drive out past it, and you've got certain houses, houses popping up, like and you know the Yanks will knock on the door and be like, how much, you know, how much do you want for it? Just purely so they can come over, Important. stay. What? Well, not even. It's <laughs> just go and watch the open for the for the week and then whatever. But wow. it's um, it's, it's crazy money that's that's thrown around it. Talking of money, this year the um, the purse is sixteen and a half million dollars, uh, with a record three million uh, going to the uh, going to the winner this year. So uh, it's always good to watch, isn't it? And obviously. Your boy McElroy um, finished very strongly last weekend, so he's yeah, actually he's actually Scottish, the favourite, isn't he? I've seen in the odds he's the favourite going into it, which actually means nothing really, doesn't it? Because um, you just don't know who's going to turn up at that sort of thing. But it's, all, well, all, it's quite common. It's quite common that the that some of the players that are playing well the, the weeks leading into it do very well, and all of the all of the majors, don't they? I mean, yeah, well, I mean, the, just the recently, Koepka's been do, been been back to back to back playing. Yeah, the the, the last time someone won the week before the Open was when Phil Mickelson won the Scottish in 2013 and then rolled in and won the Open so it's it's hard to win back to back because you, you're essentially trying to beat 320 people over two weeks you know what I mean and they're generally the best in the world but there's a lot to be said for like someone of that class peaking at the right time Rory maybe got a bit lucky on Sunday with some putts he didn't think were going to like just happen to fall and the cynic in me thinks oh that's wasted for this week because golf's a lot about luck but he'll he'll be there thereabouts as will Scheffler Scheffler's just hitting the ball like so you get another hole in one there do I read recently as well or something I don't know yeah so Steph Curry got a hole in one last week playing in a celebrity event. He's, oh, he's wasn't it? Wasn't it brilliant? He's a ridiculous. Did you see golfer. the celebration? Yeah. He literally sprinted the yeah. hole. <laughs> when, but when you say a ridiculous golfer, like could he just pack in the basketball and go and play golf? You wouldn't make money from it, now. He's a ridiculous golfer for someone that has a full-time job like basketball. Right, because, I mean, the other name that crops up is you hear about, everyone's like, oh, Gareth Bale's an amazing golfer. Is he an amazing golfer or...? You watched me play on Friday night, didn't you? He's got the same handicap as me. Oh, okay. 
He's probably a bit lower and I sincerely. You are amazing though, Aaron. Oh, you know what I, mean? <laughs> I was leaving that one up. I'll delete that one later on. Quite an interesting one um, on, on, on this open. There are two sets of brothers in the field, Matt Fitzpatrick and his younger brother. I saw brother, that. Alex. His younger brother qualified, didn't yeah, he? Well, well, Alex is a pro now and Alex plays on the Challenge Tour, which is the second level tour in Europe. And I went, as I told you, I went and caddied for my mate um, a few weeks ago in the Netherlands and Alex was playing beside us. Alex was on the range beside us and he came close to winning that week. He's a proper player. He's very, very good. Do, am I right in thinking Alex sometimes caddies for Matt? Or that, is that just... Nah, he did when he was a kid but Alex has been sort of close to pro or very high level amateur for the past three or four years now I'm trying to figure out who the other set is is it the Molinari's no, no it's the Danish Nikolai uh, and Rasmus Hogarth they're twins yeah. yeah yeah, and they're both very very good and probably one or both maybe in the Ryder Cup come September um, the young Danish lads are both what, 21, 22 so I mean there's obviously a, you can't shy away from the you know the whole live golf thing it seems to have it, it rears its head every now and again. We had uh, this this agreement that's been put in place and it's gone pretty quiet. And there's about I think there's about 10 or 12 of them who are who are from Live Golf. Ian Polt was not one of them. Um, but I think the field is 156. Yep. And so they say the cut so is, the, is the top 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 70 plus change, isn't it? I think. Yeah. They uh, say 16 players from the Live Golf League will be. 16, is it? Sorry, I didn't 16. think of that many. Yeah, you've got Phil Mickelson, Hoosthausen, Stenson, Smith. Doesn't include Westwood, Casey, Kamer. What happened to Martin Kamer? He was on fire. Well, maybe that was in black and white days, but he was on fire. He, yeah, well, so he won, he won US Open in, oh, I won't get this right, 20, 2011, 2010, 2010 maybe, uh, around the time when he won the Ryder Cup for Europe. But he, there was kind of a turning point for him perhaps when he, he had, he lost one of the largest ever leads in a fairly irrelevant tournament, but he was eight shots in front going into the Sunday and he completely collapsed. And the, Scar tissue is a big thing in golf, and when you have bad memories and when you feel that frailty, and it's a it's a more recent feeling to you than your success, I'd say that probably had a bit of an effect on his career trajectory from then. It's interesting you say that because you, I think it's probably even worse as a not as a top level golfer because as a you know amateur you play the same course over and over again, and obviously you can have the greatest mindset in the world, but. You can't help but think about what happened last time when you go in. You know, if you if there's a big pond and you were in it last time, that's the first thing you're gonna. Yeah, that's the first thing right. you're uh, you're gonna think about. I mean, we we sort of touched on it, and I, I've I've alluded to it before when you talk about the quicksand in professional sport. Very very interesting topic. I mean, how do you how do you get yourself out of that funk? And it is it, you call it choking or, or whatever. And I think it's always very harsh, but it's just one of those days where. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. I mean, talking about there was, I think it was McElroy at the PGA was the one that sticks in my mind a fair few years ago. Do you remember when he was leaving the last day? And there's that infamous picture of him with just head, oh bloody hell, um, <laughs> with his head down just on the top of the club, isn't there? Because he's just you know. Yeah, that was 2010 at the Masters. He he had a five shot lead and hooked one left into someone's house and collapsed from there. He's he's obviously he was probably at the peak of his powers then. He hasn't won the Masters since, and a lot of people attribute that to being the reason why because there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot goes with that, like you say, the quicksand and I, I, like everything else. I think like football and football, you're told when you're having a day like that, you just have to simplify everything, like take yourself out of the game as much as possible and keep it simple. In golf, it's just you. And so you have to hit every shot. Um, and I'm sure there are other sports that are the same and that are individual. And that puts a lot of pressure on you mentally. Um, and that's why I feel like the people you watch being the most successful, Tiger again, just mentally stronger than everybody else. Largely didn't care about anyone else, and that's probably why you have to be a bit sociopathic. It's, it's yeah. funny when you when you talk about the there's certain skills like tennis is a good one as well because you're 
golf or golf is obviously an individual sport, but the they're, they're all closed skills in the sense that your opponent doesn't really influence you, you know, whereas in tennis, it's, it's a bit of both, isn't it? Because your serve, you can obviously dictate where the, where the ball goes. So you're in control. But then after that, you have to react to everything that your, that your, uh, that your opponent does. And it's, I mean, just obviously because we've had the the Wimbledon at the weekend, but how many times have you seen somebody who needs to stay in the match and they double fault and then that's that's it? You know, it's it's one yeah, of those things. Play with your mind, doesn't it? Certainly does. What about the potential alliance between the PGA Tour and 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 Live? Has that caused some of the friction? Will this be a little bit easier on on the mindset of some of the players? Possibly. I think people have just stopped caring as much. I think a lot of the people, the, the mindset of the players that went to Live. They obviously made the choice not to care um, because they got loads of money, so they're fine. The PGA Tour players who were affected by it, they just probably lost out in some money, but they're still playing. Like you said, they're playing for sixteen million this week. They're, they've got three tournaments coming up in a row where they're playing for twenty million. They're fine, you know. They're they're fine. Um, I think I, I just don't think it's even worth discussing anymore. It's kind of done. There's been a whole thing in the past. Um, two weeks that, that it's been in front of the Senate so like most of the people have been talking about it are high ranking like senators who have some sort of investment financial or otherwise and people that are directors but when it gets to that point I lose interest like I follow a sport not a business and yeah. that's the business side of things and so you know I like majors because all the best players are playing in the same place the introduction of live fractured the golf world to some, set, some extent and took some of the best players out of the stuff I wanted to watch every week and made them play something else that is why I didn't enjoy it. If that reverts, then good. Um, but I don't really care that much anymore. Yeah, I think but it's probably fair to say that the players are, yeah, all a bit like that. Yeah, well. I, th- I think they're fine. I think they, yeah. to be honest, they, they also like if you look at the practice rounds that are being played, like so that you can the open for, for anybody that is up following the open this week. Download the app; it's free and it's unbelievably detailed. But um, that lays out who everybody's playing with, even in practice rounds, and you can see that they're mixing between the PGA Tour and the and the Live Tour because they're friends. Like Kepka and McIlroy are quite good friends. There's no ill feeling there between the individuals. I think it's more like Rory's quite outspoken against the concept. The most recent thing he said. He's refusing a lot of press conferences at the minute, okay. um, which is good for him. But last week he refused a press conference and then got asked one question kind of off the cuff and said that he, if live golf was the only type of golf that could be played, he would retire. <laughs> and that's quite a big statement for somebody that doesn't want to make a statement. But big statement. If a week out from the a week out from yeah. the, the Open as well, we're going to be playing. I mean, they're going to hang on everything that you uh, hang on everything that you say and that sort of thing, isn't it? Just uh, going, you know. Taking a couple of steps back, you said you were you were caddying for your friend. So just give us a bit of an insight into you know I've just pulled up the the tee off times and it's fairly savage Thursday morning six thirty five. Uh, the first uh, grouping is uh, Brandon Grace, Matthew Jordan, and uh, Richie Ramsey. They'll obviously be teeing off. What time are you you know if you're obviously as we said they're not drinking a bottle of red wine the night before they uh, they go out and play. What sort of time are they getting up? Are you going to the practice range beforehand? There's, there's a couple of, that, that's a cool question there's a couple of interesting bits on that um, first of all the Open is the only competition that plays off everybody plays off one so they all start on the first tee and that's why the time starts early and they play until daylight so the last tee time will probably be somewhere around three or they four they all start off one what do you mean well ordinarily in a golf tournament with 156 players that are playing in groups of three 
there's a lot of I can't do the maths on that actually <laughs> was it 50 close to 60 tea times 50 something tea times and so in order to get, get those out at 10 minute intervals that's 50 times 10 52 minutes. there you go thanks very much good man he does have his uses um, <laughs> I'll teach you math next year so what they normally do is they condense them put them over a smaller period of time and while uh, group A are teeing off number one group B are teeing off number 10 and they play the back nine first, and by the time they loop around to one, the other group have finished the back nine, and they're going on to ten. So they play in two batches, as it were, the morning wave and the afternoon wave. With golf, that's uh, with the open, that's still the case, but everybody tees off the first. So the first group will be going off, as you say, at 6.30, and that's a bit of a tradition. I'll always get up and watch the first tee shot, because usually a player of significance is hitting it. I don't know on that one why... Well, Jordan Jordan's grew, a scouser, he, he grew up there, yes. and he was 10 years old when Tiger Woods won the 2006 Open Championships at Royal Liverpool. He was eight when Royal uh, McElroy hoisted the Claret Jug there in tw- 2014. Yeah. Okay, so, so that, that's, that's quite that. So I think that's the significance yeah. of him hitting the first uh, tee off. And often, so da- like in Port Rush, Darren Clark hit it as a past champion and a member of the club, stuff like that. Um, but what you'll see there is probably if you've got the tee times, the last one's probably somewhere around three or four. And that's fairly unprecedented as well for UK tee times. But they just put. 16 minutes past, uh, 16 minutes past four, and it will be oh, Si Young Sun Han from where, Nathan? Korea? US. Hurley Long and Marco Penge. So Marco Penge plays on, he's a, he's from Devon, I think, or Cornwall or something. He plays on that um, that oh. same tour as my mate. Um, um, anyway, the, sorry to, to, to answer your question. Yeah, that that's that's a little more of a unique one. They, they literally, are, there are groups starting from 6.30 in the morning until 4.15 in the, the afternoon. So you can go out at any time and pick up any group you want and they're all just playing. So by the time the first group was finished, there will still be loads of groups to go out and thinking about the coast of England and Scotland how much the weather can change this is the competition that's most affected by weather and you know I'm trying to think of the most like so Adam Scott in 2014 when Rory won here played unbelievable golf and finished fifth but effectively the way he hit the ball and the quality versus the conditions he had to face he probably would have won if he had been on the other side of the draw stuff like that is is a factor in the open can't remember your so that so that, so therefore weather plays a massive massive, massive impact and as we know in the, in, the, in the UK the weather is um, unpredictable yeah I mean it levels out because well, Great Britain I, I Great Britain what, that was that Great was, Britain that was, <laughs> Great Britain or the UK <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that, that was a very good word you said um, unpredictable sorry just going back to my original question so if you're teeing off at six thirty five in the morning what is the process what time sorry, are you getting up yeah. what time are you going out to practice you know how how do we go from there. Um, generally arrive at the course two hours before or an hour and a half before so you're talking they'll, they'll be practicing in darkness there'll be floodlights down there somewhere but they'll be practicing in darkness um, would they so, be using those orange balls I found no, the other day no nobody would use that thing that's that's damaging to golf clubs <laughs> I, f- I was like I found a ball he's like put that back in the rough mate. throw that back where you found it <laughs> no, somebody didn't look like yeah. for that for a reason yeah uh, nah, so yeah, so they'll get they'll probably start hitting balls if, if they're teeing off at six thirty. Is it? Uh, they'll probably start hitting balls at five thirty. So they'll get there, get changed, probably do a warm up. So there's a lot of gym work nowadays, which again is different from when John Daly was there. There's there's gyms that travel to everything that are portable. Uh, they'll do that, and then they'll you know they'll spend 15, 20 minutes putting before walking onto the first tee. And I can imagine that group out, particularly it'll, it'll be Matthew Jordan that plays first. It'll be very nerve wracking because yeah. the tee's going to be full, and that's the best thing about the Open. Like people here love golf. Most of golf, I say here sorry people in the uk and ireland love golf most of golf lives in the us so when it comes over here the fans are out in numbers and it's always really well supported and it's a highlight for for everyone when the best players in the world come to them even just to get a glimpse of them isn't it yeah, sort of it, yeah. 
the, well, the, the economy that it must that it must bring must be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. For for the towns, I think particularly, look at Port Rush as a town. The golf club maybe didn't make that much money because the amount of money they had to spend. Um, but the, it's the domino effect of that. Once that became known, uh, Port Rush, I'll call out here. Port Rush's fees went up by like seventy quid around. Um, and to be honest, that like so, there's a little course probably 30 minutes I won't name it there's a little course about 30 minutes in Port Rush and I went to play it and I used to play it like a little bit when I was younger it was like 20 quid they now charge 120 because if they don't charge that much the Americans won't play it because they don't see they, they look at what are the most expensive courses around here therefore they must be good so when they come over on their golf trips to play Royal County Down which is ranked the third best course in the world Royal Port Rush which is just inside the top 10 or top 15 in the world they'll play three or four other courses and they'll play them based on the price that they're charging and if it's wow. not high they won't play it so when you, you just said they're Royal County Downs third best golf course in the world why why isn't the open being held there then uh it's an absolute players hate it uh, i mean that's a big generalization players hate it for competition golf there's like eight blind tee shots it brings in so much uh luck the rough is incredibly difficult um it's held the irish open and i think it was holding the irish open as a test to see whether it would have the the infrastructure capability have you have you been down newcastle way like no, no. I, I, I would know what you're talking about yeah. but i've not i wouldn't know, it's similar, wouldn't know it's the golf course rush but um I, I i just feel like the answer is probably that the golf course is a little bit too quirky uh it's incredible but it's there, there's a lot of um a lot of things that the pros don't want and maybe they're... Just, just another thing, oh, I mean, we love going off on a tangent here, but the Open is always played at a Lynx course, isn't it? Yes. So what is a Lynx course for, for the, you know, the uneducated amongst us listening um, in? The, uh, essentially by the seaside, isn't it? Yeah, essentially. Essentially. Uh, typically, um, typically, the majority of the grass is going to be... Uh, based around fescue um so there are like five predominant types of grass in golf and in america they're all uh fairly artificial not native so you've got bent grass bermuda grass etc and they you know a lot about grass have you seen uh starsky and hutch no just me no, okay. there we go sorry aaron on you go i'll show you the clip afterwards <laughs> that's a very valuable inter- interruption thank um, <laughs> um yeah so um the grass type uh, the soil typically is is like sand based and acidic uh, as opposed to like artificially planted grass um and so the interesting story for me that relates to that is when Colin Marikawa won the Open in 2021, he changed his clubs the week before the Open when he played the Scottish Open because he realised the clubs that he was using weren't going through the turf the same way as they would in America. Um, and he made the change and then struck struck the ball very, very well. And yeah, so... Um, that's, la- that's, la- that's, that's really cool, like that attention to detail just to be able to... It's the sort of thing that an amateur wouldn't notice, and he thought, "Well, let me try this out." And yeah, that's 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 the difference. They can feel. Another example is like I I have a friend who plays off like plus six, which is very close to being professional if he wanted to be, and he got he plays for a college golf team in America, and he got on a flight and landed, and they had a practice day, and he was putting awful, and his his he said to his mate, "Can you have a look at this putter?" And it had been bent in in transit by two degrees. I would not notice that my partner was bent by two degrees, but it completely changed the outcome because he was so rhythmic and so like well-trained. And the minutiae of that is fascinating because those guys are so dialed in or whatever that the little things oh, can make a notice. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. High level high level sports just fascinating, isn't it? Because they're so like... It's all those upset. 1%, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, very, very, very cool. When, um, when, when, we, when we sort of look ahead, how do you see... Because uh, a lot of the time when we talk about um, the way sport is at the moment, look, you've got football. Football's top of the stack and always will be. So everybody else is sort of scraping for the scraps to 
get more people in uh, involved in golf because ultimately more people, more money. That's essentially what it comes down to. Aaron, we spoke previously about how COVID was a good thing for golf because you could go out and play golf uh, and be unaffected by all the restrictions and all these sorts of things. And But do you see the golf, the game of golf changing? I know obviously we, we sort of alluded to uh, live golf coming in with the you know the fifty four hole shotgun start and stuff. Do you see there being like a like a new you know like a T twenty or a T ten coming in or a three on three basketball? Do you see that happening in golf? What you're talking about here is a reflection of society, right? So you're talking about young people more often than not. Look at like which we, none of us are young people. None of us are. Clear, but, yeah. but we both work with them, and we know attention spans are reducing by the year uh, as a result of social media. And we're talking about a, a game which, to be good at, you have to have a very good level of concentration attention span. There's two ways you can look at that. Number one, they'll immediately give it up because they're not immediately good, and the, the, the generations, the sort of bottom two generations of our society, probably need instant gratification, and they won't get that from golf. They'll get it from one shot, and that might be that hook. Uh, the alternative way to look at it. Why are you looking is, at me when you talk about <laughs> it? <you know? laughs> they're, they're, um, the alternative way to look at it is this is what could teach them that. So it's a very good sport to uh, impose upon them uh, circumstantially and, and make them see, see the benefit of patience and, and sort of growth and development. Um, in terms of trying to diversify the shape of the sport, I see the logic in it, but I think the value of golf is that it is. And I'll, I'll say this openly as like somebody's obsessed with golf. It's dull. It's long. It's boring. You can't. It's it's what your granddad watches sitting down in front of the TV on a Sunday, and that's how I, that's how it was introduced to my life. Um, it's like Test match cricket but, as well. Wow, come on! You know what I mean? Because you could, last three hours on a Sunday evening with your glass of red wine after your Sunday dinner is pretty special. But that's why. You, but that's why you watch it. That's not for children, is it? And, and that's no, they're tucked up a bit, leaving us alone. <laughs> so when do you when do you get into that? Because I completely agree, it's a very therapeutic, relaxing, and it can be exciting as well. But there's three days of golf that have happened before that, and the, gol- the, pra- the golfers have been practicing for five days. So if you only care for three hours out of, uh, let's say, somewhere around sixty hours play per week, how do they market that? How they market it? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Well, Scott, you were saying recently that they were looking at putting golf into almost like a. St- Right. I remember reading uh, a thing about McElroy and Woods teaming up to, yeah, almost have like a stadium environment. This sort of three D. Uh, have you ever, have you ever played Top Golf before? You ever done that? Mm-hmm. That's good crack. Um, There's one being built about two hours from here right now. Who is that? Yeah, Germany. Oh, very good. Played him. Played in a couple. Get over there for a weekend. Yeah. What, what you're what you're talking about is called TGL, um, and it was a business venture which they set up. TGL parents get lost. Sorry, <laughs> going off on a tangent again. TGL, TGL. Ah, okay. <laughs> the golf league. Yeah, uh, but that was set up kind of as a counter movement to live to say, look, if we want to spice things up, we have this idea. Um, it's gimmicky. It's not. It, like I suppose I'm a bit of a purist. Like I like golf, golf. As, like golf as it is. Yeah, mm. uh, but if it if it gets younger people access to golf to play the normal sport cool i mean i'm all for anything that does that but you know it'll be an entertainment product rather than a sport um, yeah. and the reason i've probably fallen out of love with football a bit is because it's fallen that way it's more about you know how many people are watching it it, it still retains like I, the world cup is the thing that got me back into football but club football just became ridiculous when you see um they might even just looking at the transfer fees and stuff like that. That's a different topic, but uh, it's sort of like, yeah, this is this is just a massive business, and it's not what it used to mean to me because I can't be as attached to the club that I grew up loving because I see so many of the things that are going D- on behind. Declan Rice not worth one hundred and five mil. Nobody's worth one hundred and five million. He's a human, and he's a whole midfielder as well. So like, it used to be like I remember. I remember when Zidane signed for for Juventus for like forty five mil, and it was like that was front page. Well, it's not actually the player that's receiving. 
No, no, yeah, but, but, but it's, the player that, it's the player that's being the, the, defined as worth the, the that. And, and sort of, uh, I'm saying like, so I'm a Man United fan and I read tonight that we're going to sign the goalkeeper who got rejected by Barcelona from Inter Milan for £47 million. Isn't it already done now? Uh, I, I don't know. I, that, and again, that speaks to the fact that I don't really care. Uh, it, he'll be good. De Gea was amazing for a long time, went, like, went downhill massively. But the point is, the, it doesn't matter what number you say someone's worth I disagree because all of the fees are a reflection of where the business is at and a, cert, a, a few years ago they just started making up numbers and then they went yeah okay if that's what you're charging yeah, because mm-hmm. the money's available um, and so that devalues the sport for me golf is an individual sport so I see that a little bit differently um, but when players were signing we talked about this in the last time I, I was on but players are signing a contract for 150 million 200 million up front to not hit a golf ball like what what I, I don't uh, yeah, it's see. it's it's funny you talk about these, you know, like the I don't want to say major league because that it would imply I'm talking about the Americans, but these sort of big, you know, these these big top high profile teams, whether they be in Spain or or in in the UK or, or wherever wherever they are. But you've got um, sorry, I've lost my chain of thought there. But with all with all the money that's going around in it, you lose that whole club feel like we were lucky enough to interview uh, four guys who were on their way back from the conference trophy final when West Ham um, won and like I all I've often we've often had guests on and you talk about having like an energy and you could just feel them they were talking about they went down and they would always go down one of the guys drives from Hull three hours just to go and watch West Ham because he loves it he loves it and it's to go and watch and as they said, you know, they've been crap for 43 years yeah, or whatever. Yeah, they haven't won you anything. Measure the drive home. They yeah. measure the drive home every week. And that's fine. And that's great. But they've just won a trophy that came into existence three years ago. Yeah. You can't tell me that means something. And, and this, this is a nice segue back into golf, I suppose. The reason, and I heard, I was listening to a podcast that discussed this. Most people are convinced that if you told every top golfer in the world that they were taking away that 16 million prize money, they'd still play there. Because there's there's prestige, there's history, yeah. there's there's you know legacy, uh, and that from a sporting perspective matters more to me. Like I, I want my football team's name on the Champions League trophy, I want my country's name on the World Cup trophy. I don't care how much the players are getting, the, the players are getting paid because there's not always a correlation between that. Uh, in fact, often if you look at PSG, there's an inverse correlation between how much it actually means to them and how much they're getting paid. Yeah, um, but it's sort of to go go to, just to build on that from the football side of things. Then when you talk about something like the FA Cup, it's almost better to watch the the earlier league rounds and stuff like that because you get these you know you get these non-league teams who do the unthinkable and get into the third or the fourth round get drawn against one of the heavyweights and you're sort of you're, you're it's the underdog story isn't it you're gunning you want to see them do well uh john flynn who uh used to coach the national team he's a mad celtic fan and we played in sweden and this was in this was just before covid so this has got to be I want to say 2018, maybe 2019. Uh, no, I think it was 2018. And we beat we beat Sweden in Malmo, actually, where Ibrahimovic is um, his his hometown. And we obviously had uh, two, three beers, as you do after we won over there. Uh, they were ranked some like 20 places higher in the world than us. And we went into this Irish bar, and on the wall they had a shirt, um, and it was the last time that Celtic won the the European Cup, you know, back in the day and whatever. And obviously had a few beers with John, but he explained to me the significance of this was because most of that team were from Glasgow, which is would be unheard of these dames to go through and win like your top competitions in Europe, but actually have most of the boys from 
not just that, like that the, team, the local area. That team in '67, like I think there were obviously 15, 14, 15 boys, and like eleven to twelve of them were born within three miles of the ground, and that's a big enough city. Like that is so cool, and that's why if you look at Athletic Bilbao in the north of Spain, will only take players from the Basque region, and so for them to have sustained their presence in La Liga, which is a highly competitive league, while retaining that policy is unbelievable. And they still like it doesn't mean that they keep all the players from the Basque region. The better ones still move on. They sign for Barcelona. They sign for, but for them to keep churning out, and that's what the Basque kids want to play for and then it becomes about okay this is like representing your country how much does it matter but at a high club level I'm more interested in that than yeah and I think the point you make about the FA Cup is still while still valid those stories are becoming fewer and further between because of the structure of football and that's ruining one of the things that used to be magic back way back when we used to before we got um, we're very lucky to come on and do this for in, in the RTL studios um, when we were doing this as a podcast one of the guys we had on I don't remember this and his um the guy I used to play with back in the UK and his, I think his granddad was the coach of one of the teams that drew against Liverpool in the FA Cup. So they got a, and this could be, this would be 50, 60 years ago. I'd have to go back and look at it. And he spoke about, he sent us this video and basically they arranged because they were playing Liverpool in the return fixture. The bloke basically got them the, all these big flash coats to turn up to in the game. They're all obviously stolen. And there's a video of them all prancing around in these stolen uh, coats Anfield but you know those those stories are brilliant we love mm-hmm. reading about these Nathan well, we, you, we went through we that we hear the story we, when you come on the professional you know the players coming from from the region we learnt from the West Ham fans that the last and the last FA Cup they won which was in 1980 that was the they were all English team now we're in the I mean where else in the world would that be like or what other sports would we, that yeah. be like just, quite, just, just, just on that. It just, and this is just an off, off the, off the top of my head question. You, when you look at the the Premier League, you know it's arguably the most, well, it is the most competitive league in the world. But that's because of all the different players and all the different nationalities, and that's nothing to take away from it. But ultimately, it's the English Premier League. So, would it not benefit you more to have more of a restriction on the number of outsiders that can play in it? Just out of curiosity, in La Liga in Spain, is there a restriction on the number of outsiders? No. So what's what's well, it's all about what, entertainment, isn't it? It's all about entertainment and and, and money that comes with money, it. Money, yeah. No, it's so money. it's like it's if like the, the it's like the NBA. You know, you got, you got it's just a professional league. If the Premier League wasn't a business, what you talked about would be viable, but it is. And so for it to be a business, the the best footballers in the world will not all ever come from England. I'm, I'm right thinking there is some sort of rule in place for the number of players you have, which because it's actually so low, it almost drives the player up of the drives the the cost of the English players up when they when they do get bought or transferred and such. The two highest players right now. You, you think we said Rice before and and uh, Bellingham going to uh, Real. Yeah, but Bellingham has never played in the English Premier League. True, uh, a sixteen-year-old mm-hmm. who moved from Birmingham to to Dortmund and one of the sort of weird transfers and really like had the opportunity to shine. Um, and then people realised his value. There, there's merit in that too. Um, but I think, yeah, uh, it's because <laughs> I'm just a little bit cynical about it because it is a business. There is there there's a rule close to what you were speaking to about before that you have to have a certain number of home players t- to register in your Champions League squad. So you register 25 in your Champions League squad, and you have to re- I don't know how many it is. You have to register so many players from your country. Um, so you, like Arsenal were the first one to draw attention to that in 
it was just when they stopped being good um, they had they fielded a team that had no English players in it and that was the first Premier League team to field a team with no English players in it since the Premier League began which is kind of like the era of football that we're still in um, and that raised a lot of eyebrows because they were dominant too which was worrying for England but What about the state of origin of football in the UK? Wouldn't that be brilliant? The North versus the South That'd be a great show be... wouldn't it? Where would you draw the line? Birmingham? Watford? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean yeah, good. Very yeah, Birmingham. Where, where would yeah? That'd be good to watch. Or, or like counties, counties of birth. Yes, like that would be you know when you get like thirty teams, thirty-two teams. I mean, that's one of the coolest things about Ireland with the Gaelic football is even chatting to the the boys I know who are hurlers and and uh, and footballers. How you you don't leave your club. It's your club, and you there are sometimes circumstances, but you're not going to go and you know you you play for your parish, and you 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 know if you. If you live in Sandvala, you ain't going to Utrons sort of thing. It's just, uh, it's not even a discussion, do you know what I mean? Let me add a bit of colour to that. This is what I found fascinating. I didn't play a lot of Gaelic growing up, but a lot of my friends did, right? So in in each county, you've got three levels, senior, intermediate and junior. It's like division one, two and three, right? Now you might go, your county team could be unbelievable, right? So let's, like, mine aren't, so I'm not going to use that as an example, but Derry just got to the other end semi-final. If you go to Derry, all of Derry's county panel, so the players that represent the county, which is the highest level of competition, could play in Division 3 if they're spread out enough. Now, if there's three county players in your team, you're not going to be in Division 3, you're going to be too good for that. But if every team in Division 3 has one county player, then all the best players could be in the lowest division because they will not leave their club. So they won't try and win the senior thing in their county. There tends to be a correlation because you'll get parishes that are high-volume towns that are that'll have three or four players and they'll win Division 1 and stuff like that. But my my mates are, you know, often come from very small towns and they'll play in Division 3 and they'll be like, oh, we've got two county boys against us today. We're going to get hammered. And the fact that they're playing at that level because that's their club, it's not even thought about question. That's so cool. That it speaks to what you... And then it means that no matter what game you go to, there's at least one really good player who's going to be playing in an 80,000 seater stadium who's currently playing in front of six people and a dog yeah. um, I mean but also with the with the county game you it's you know ultimately it's about playing for your club so yes it's, it's sort of like it's great to play for your club it's a privilege to play for the county as well but obviously when they am I right in thinking it's 15 how many do you have in a squad when they're playing on a match day 22 yeah so if you've got those 22 you can be sure as hell if you're not picked you'd be back playing for your um for your club now, something I noticed when I went out when I first moved uh, when I went to uni in Belfast was actually a lot of the Ulster boys were quite reluctant. You know, if they're not picked, the odds on them actually playing for their elected club. So you'd be Nathan Snade, you're playing for Mets, but actually your club Sandviler. If you're not picked for Mets, you would go back. No, because you're a Kiwi, that is common knowledge. I mean, the big high-profile one was Sonny Bill when he came back and he was playing for his club was actually called Belfast, and he was playing out. And they had thousands down watching. But I went uh, after my first year of uni. I went down to Sydney for a season, and um, I played for a, like a subbies club, and it, it just it just wasn't for me. And then I went down to a big arguably one of the biggest clubs in the world um, in Randwick which everybody down that neck of the woods knows them you know they put out six teams on a Saturday for seniors and then they put out three under 21s teams and you know if you if you play what's called first grade down there that's you know you talk about like Michael Checker who obviously is quite high profile Eddie Jones he was a Randwick boy as well most of the boys come out of Randwick didn't they yeah and but what happens is you've obviously got you've got boys playing first grade and then guys will kick on to play super rugby but if you're not picked for Super Rugby, you drop down. 
Mate, now it's got to the stage where yeah, there was a big one with Kurtley Beale, and he wasn't picked to play um, against. I think he wasn't he wasn't picked to play against South Africa. So that week he played for Ramwick in the Shoot Shield, and then somebody got injured, and he was playing against the All Blacks the uh, week the after. But week, that's yeah. how how important they think it is. Recently, yeah, it was a few years ago. But the the point is, I went down the first game. I went down to watch there. Randwick were playing Sydney Uni, another massive, massive uh, club in in Sydney. And of the t- 44 players, 26 of them were super rugby or had played super rugby. They had a week off and they were like, hell yes, I'm all come down. You know, you had 5,000 people down watching a club game. Um, and obviously, unfortunately, all the amateur boys then have to bump down to second grade and stuff like that. But personally, I think that's, a, a, that's something that would you would you get that in football? You know, if you're not picked for, it's a bit different with the pro game and stuff like that in football, isn't it? Because if you're not picked, you might play for the reserves. But you know, I think guys would be like, no, I'll just no, they don't. Right. They don't like more often than not. Premier League players won't go play for the reserves unless they're recovering from injury. And and again, that the reserves is now under twenty three football, where you can only have four players that aren't under twenty three. So that limits the amount you can do that anyway. But it's not like the idea of getting someone game time. If they're on the periphery of the squad, they will be with the squad and they'll travel with them. They'll sit in the stands and watch them. And then they'll go out onto the pitch afterwards and run. Do fitness. Oh, grim. Well, I mean, what about the training, though? They're, they're out training. Uh, yeah, it, it just depends them, so. where you get bounced, though, because like, yeah. if you're, like, you might train as a 30, um, and then you might get chucked down. If you're outside the 30, you might get chucked down. You probably will play then. But if you're in that 30, well, of that 30, only 17, 18 are going to be in the match day squad. But so there are 12 people that will just be sitting watching, waiting to see if someone gets a cold or, you know. Um, I mean, Aaron, you probably know yourself from, from playing football, but you'd have had days where. You're, uh, you know, playing at a decent level of sport is great, and you. But the key is when you're playing, because if you're training, and you're not playing, it's crap. You know, because you can be busting your balls, but if the manager doesn't like you or, or whatever it might be, um, it, it's tough. And then that's why you do get. You, I, I get it why you get guys to leave. You know, before a year's even up and going, because ultimately you've got to be, you've got to be playing at the end of the day. So that'd that'd drop Harry Maguire's price, wouldn't it? I mean, just take him. Just take him. I'll drive in there. <laughs> you, got, you, got, you do. You, there is part of you that's got to be feel. I mean, we spoke about this earlier. You, Eighty million they paid for him, and it's. Um, I was chatting to my mate earlier, and he said, "Ah, oh, but he's good at set piece." Do you know what I mean? That's that's what he said to me. But um, yes, it's not his. It's, I mean, scrums. Maybe. It's not on him. Hi, right, get him to playing rugby. <laughs> I mean. He didn't decide he was 80 million. Do you know what I mean? No, and it's it like, yeah. it's he, his value's been driven up for, for uh, you know, based on his success with England. Well, nearly success in and terms of he didn't win well, anything. Like, I've had this chip on my shoulder for a while, but the centre backs didn't do anything in that competition. He wasn't particularly good. The two holding midfielders were unbelievable for England. Like, they completely ran that competition. That's why he got to the final. So he was protected and occasionally chipped in with a tackle when they got through. But knowing you're under that little pressure as a centre back, that means you can't, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be able to make those tackles because you're not getting battered. I d- but anyway, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's the point I said to you yesterday. It's like when I play, I feel sorry for players like that because I don't think he's very good. And I've never thought he was very good. But someone else decided that he was, and therefore everybody else. And, and the thing is, like football is kind of like reflex, like in terms of fans, is like reflexive and vitriolic. Everything has to be extreme. We have to deeply abuse someone for being bad. Like nobody tries to be bad, and so I don't understand the mentality of like berating somebody for for being bad anyway um yeah if he goes cool we've got a, we've got a lot of better defenders <laughs> just obviously yeah we got you in to talk about the golf so we'll just bounce back from golf. give me give me your uh, <laughs> give me your top three top three at the open this weekend 
it's hard. So Scheffler's been putting like like terribly, but he's just got above average putting, and his ball striking is so good that it, I don't see him outside the top three. Uh, Rory, if Rory gets through f- Friday within the top ten, then I'll have him in there. This is not creative in any way. Let me give you something a bit more creative. Um, who do I like? Hoylake. Uh, Hov- Hovland's going to knock off a Majorson. Um, Hovland is a re- is sort of the real deal and around there with his driving and his iron striking if he doesn't get himself in too many positions where he has to chip he will be very oh, yeah, good I thought he's already won one this so, is Norwegian Hovland I thought he's already won him Aaron's being non-committal you've got your top three Hovland McElroy and Hold uh, on, don't don't say that. Let's just <laughs> let's just revisit that. Please do not take the Lord's name in vain. Alvarez, Alvarez, <laughs> and Alvarez is going to get in the, in the top three as well. Um, we've got a couple other ones which is going to bounce into uh, quite quickly. Um, we we when we first started this, we loved bringing up a few uh, topics that would uh, I guess you know cause a bit of controversy. Um, and we're going to bounce into one now. Uh, World Cycling's governing body. Um, has ruled that transgender women will be prevented from competing in female events. And this shows a similar decision by uh, British Cycling. Um, the UCI is seeking to protect the female class. The UCI said, as anyone who has transitioned after male puberty could compete in the men or the open category. This follows on from the female American transgender cyclist Austin Killips, who won a UCI women's event two months ago. Uh, in the wake of that, they've obviously revisited it. The reason I've, uh, I've, I've sort of brought this up is because cycling seemed to be at the forefront of actually making decisions and coming out and uh, and sort of you know making a decision on how the the regular you know the the the, uh, the rules and the regulations are going to be not enforced but certainly they're, they're setting out so their like, guidelines so i would say off the back of talking about that i would i'm gonna you know stick my neck out and say you watch now who else will jump on the bandwagon here well, we've and, had and, we've, and had the, we've had athletics we've had fina and now we've got the UC, UCI. Yeah. Well, the, the, the two you mentioned before, there, they've not come out and come in with these men slash open categories. Okay. okay, that's where they've made it quite clear. But just before we came on, Aaron, you sort of talked about yeah. how blew me off um, my chair. The uh, about the Commonwealth Games, uh, which is was due to be down in in Victoria. Was that right? I mean, twenty twenty six. They were supposed that they were like the leading better it's not even leading better because it's been hard from what i read in this i know very little about this it's one article they've been finding it difficult to get people to want to host it and again if you think of the commonwealth nations to some extent that makes sense because of the relevance and it's all there's been a lot of australia or uk as sort of the, the main hosts but yeah apparently australia have withdrawn there or like victoria's withdrawn its bid for 2026 um and i mean one thing i read is that the um, estimated cost of hosting is somewhere in the region of six billion dollars. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't. Say, I, I can see why they might want to pull out, and you know whether that's in wake of the way things are happening in world sport, or whether they think it's it's maybe losing its relevance a little bit, especially the notion of the Commonwealth and, and what that can mean as a sport and competition and globalization. I mean, just to use Australia as the example, they got a lot going on down there over the next couple of years, haven't they? You got the Women's World Cups going to be down there, Rugby World Cups heading back down there, the Lions is heading off. Is off back down there. So I don't and know. They've got the infra- I mean, Australia's got the infrastructure to host such a, such events, and probably more so than most other Commonwealth countries. I mean, who have you got uh, in India, New Zealand? I, I doubt they've got the infrastructure to host a Commonwealth, even a, a small. Is it, is it one of those games. ones that's? Is it dying out a little bit? The Commonwealth. Well, games? I think, as you say, it's the notion of the actual Commonwealth. I think it's probably a little bit more of that. But uh, at the same time, I still think it'd be a massive shame 
to see it go because it's a it's almost like being a, a stepping stone to get for the for the athletes to get to the certainly from a from a Kiwi point of view stepping stone to get to the Olympics it's the next best thing it's not no different to the the, the games of the small states for, that we have here in Luxembourg so I mean it's not this isn't I'd a rug- be sad to see I'd be sad for my side I'd be very sad to see the Commonwealth Games go I, I, I do yeah I've had, a, I've had a couple of family members competing in Commonwealth and boxing like our family's quite big into boxing in Ireland and um, it's just such it creates such a buzz because. The thing, the difference between the Commonwealth and the Olympics for me is you're likely to know a lot more people that go to the Commonwealth and that makes it quite special because then you tune in and it still feels it has all the grandeur. Um, but as I say, whether it's the notion of the Commonwealth's existence that's becoming more dubious or whether it's actually, because if Australia are the main host, that has to be the most expensive place for other people to go. You know, like if we if we take the average location of Commonwealth countries, yep. it's hard to get out there. Um, so it might be something to do with that or who knows. Look, we haven't talked about any rugby, so we'll get that in quickly, okay, just before the end. Obviously, New Zealand won 35-20 um, against South Africa at the weekend. Just too good. I watched it. And as you oh, said, for 15, 16 minutes, they were just minutes, hot, 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 weren't they? Yep. You know, you do well. People talk about me about writing them off at the, bounce the, of the World ball Cup. Went, the bounce of the ball went, went their way. Fortune favours the brave. The other one, Australia against Argentina. Australia uh, got a late try, very late on to win 34-31. There's a good video of Eddie Jones going mental in the commentary box. I still wouldn't bet against the Aussies at the World Cup. Mate, they have I, got the easier side of the draw. If 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 you want to, mate, really I am dive with you. It. I am totally with you. But if you are, let's say Eddie Jones, or you're a, you're an Australian fan, what are you what, what are you going to do right now? What are you going to do? I mean, you got you're staring down the barrel of. Uh, Two Bledisloe Cup matches against New, New Zealand. You've well, we lost. said we you you said to me, you know, after what's happened in the last couple of weeks, you wouldn't bet against them to turn it round and uh, and, uh, and and turn it on. The other big one in rugby is obviously Johnny Sexton had his hearing before the weekend. He's been banned for three games. So okay, so that's three warm up games, warm yeah, games, um, which he wasn't going to play in anyway. Right. I, of course you want to see him play, but like it's becoming like football now. If you want to make an example of somebody, chuck the book at him. You know, it was the same with the... Uh, do you remember Dylan Hartley? Yeah. Where he swore at Wayne Barnes in the match and he got banned and he missed the Lions tour. There you go, that's... Is it? Is it because, you know, is it because I, is it, it Ireland are going to go the whole way? I don't know. You know, there's a lot. But, you know, to, for, for this to go on that long and only bring yeah, only put, give him a three-match three ban, you know. Well, yeah, what's the point? Like getting your name written up on the board, it doesn't mean anything, does it? Yeah. Um, Aaron, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, we'll definitely get you back on. I could sit and talk to you about golf all day. I actually, mean, very interesting. I was just watching Nathan looking at you, you. How do you just retain that much information? You retain that. You, you could you could start talking about squash and some of the discussions we've had about the squash side of stuff. I find I very interesting. Get, I, I mean, I could put the, the detail, the statistics, far out, unbelievable. Who? Are, okay, here's, who who are the who are the last major winners of? Who are the last five major winners? He's already of, told of, me of this. Of, he knows them all in the car. He's practicing in the car. <laughs> You, you, were you quizzing him in the car? No, no, he says, in? oh, yeah, I think I'm doing up to 94 and stuff like that. The, la- the open winners? Yeah. Uh, the last, uh, well, Cam Smith last year, Morikawa the year before, year before that didn't play, year before that, Lowry in Portrush, I'll always remember that one, year before that, Molinari at Carnoustie, year before that, Spieth at Brookdale. Yeah, it's, it's been it's indulgent <laughs> if I go on further. On. Absolutely, I tell you what, you know we there talk about sport, building there sports pundits, mate. And you are one, you are yeah. one of them. We're going to get you on our team. You know, <laughs> we we talk about our pub quiz team, mate. We clear up I in the sports what, round, you, in, in the in the golf section. Yeah. You, you, you you've got it. Thanks That's what we've got to find out first. Is there a golf section? Well, we quite loving? clearly, football as um, well. As always, we give a sh- huge shout out to the huge army of volunteers out there who make our sporting world. 
tick. You can catch up on the show uh, on RTL Play. This is show number 115, so we are ticking over. Actually, do you know the significance of 114, which I wasn't here for? That's my highest score in cricket. Oh, but, um, what, and what, backyard cricket? Or? <laughs> shut up, mate. <laughs> um, as always, you can check out the rest of the uh, team uh, from tomorrow at 6am. You've got Sam Steen. Uh, you've got Stephen Stepslow from 12 o'clock and you've also got Melissa Dalton with the home stretch from 3 o'clock. You've also got Dave Burrows and his DB3 sessions. Don't forget Sarah Tapp and The Hangover Show. Yep. Until then... Ch- Ch- Ch-